The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 16 tonight. This week, we are finishing up our current series called Extravagant, Generous Living in Light of the Gospel. And uh, I want to be honest with you guys for a minute. Uh, This series started out for me as a task of obedience. Um, I knew that the Lord was spurring me towards teaching on us, living extravagantly generous lives in response to his extravagant life, death, and resurrection. Um, And so I was not going to disobey the Lord in in asking us to do that. However, if I'm being honest, I was not that excited about it. Uh, The truth is, even though King Jesus taught about generosity and giving and money a lot, people oftentimes have entrenched negative perspectives on the church teaching about these things. Uh, The reality is oftentimes they find it impossible to believe that it could ever be taught without some type of self-serving motive, and uh, that can make it difficult. However, by God's abundant grace, this series has really been incredible. Um, God has blessed these teachings, and this church has listened and understood that Jesus taught so much about money and giving because they are the clearest indicator of who or what you worship. It was, in fact, our Savior who said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. I, <clears throat> I honestly cannot remember a sermon series where I have been thanked more often for preaching it. And I don't need thanks. For me, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to uh, serve God and his people by teaching the Bible. So I don't need to thank you. However, it is a welcome indicator of how much this church has, with humility and maturity, received these truths. So I'm really, really thankful for it. And so I just want to thank Jesus for loving us and instructing us, even when sometimes it can be uncomfortable. And I really want to thank you, Love City, for being the radical, Jesus-loving disciples that you are and making it easy. So thank you for that. Amen. Uh, Did you get to Matthew 19? We're going to start in verse 16 together, okay? And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? It's going to be important. Remember that question. And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? I would think all of them, but Jesus gave him an answer. He said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, anytime Jesus says that, 
it means he's serious, right? So just remember that when you're reading your Bible. Jesus says, truly I say to you. Uh, I mean, he's serious about everything he says, but he's like, listen up, boys, this is important. He says, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. <clears throat> we're going to focus in on uh, verses 23 through 26. Uh, we read the rest just to have context, know what we were coming out of, and uh, some of that will also be important. <clears throat> some of you might be thinking, um, that's kind of a bummer verse. That's a hard verse. You're right, it is. So we're going to have fun digging around in here, okay? Uh, before we do that, what I need to mention again, and, and I think we've said this to some degree in, in almost every sermon of this series, but in case you weren't here or in case maybe you're prone to selective memory, <clears throat> not that any of you would be, uh, the reality is from a global and historical perspective, you are likely rich. <clears throat> not me. Hold on. If you consistently have enough food to eat, access to a fridge to keep it from spoiling, and access to clean drinking water, just think about it, in the scope of history and compared to many people today, you are rich. Okay? That's going to be important because oftentimes we skim over verses like this because we all can think of someone richer than us, right? And so we're like, I know somebody those verses would be really good for. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Um, the, part of the problem is our perspective has been skewed because of the rise of shows like uh, MTV's Cribs, which I know none of you watch MTV, but I'm sure you've read about this in you know, reports and stuff that you read. Uh-huh. And others, right? Other predecessors to shows like that. And the problem is in these shows, right, you're walking to this mansion and they've got, you know, hand-hewn Venetian marble in the, in the foyer, right, that's worth more than any of our houses and most of our neighborhoods put together. Um, you know, then they, they're like, oh, come on, let's go out the back. And they, and they jump in their helicopter and that takes them to, to land on their yacht. And then the yacht takes them out to their private island, you know, where they've got like an organic dark chocolate river flowing through the middle, like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? And so we've all seen this stuff, and it's like, that's rich, you know? And I'm, and I'm way far from that, because I, I just have to eat chocolate the regular way. I don't get to float in it and all that, right? So uh, the, the reality is, guys, that the percentage of people who are that wealthy throughout history and today is exceptionally small. Uh, no doubt the cautions throughout the scriptures to those who are rich do apply to them. But don't assume, because you didn't pull up to the building today in a Bugatti, that these verses don't apply to you. I see, I see some of your stares. A Bugatti is, is, not, is, not a, is not a dirty word for a rumpkus. A Bugatti is a very expensive car. The Veyron model is actually $1.7 million. Uh, it has guys, it has 16 cylinders. Mm-hmm. It's fast, but it's bad, but it's bad, it's bad. Um, it's $1.7 million, and it costs 20, thanks, Bob, it costs $20,000 to get the oil changed. <laughs> what? That's, look it up. Google it. It's crazy. Uh, that's Bruce Wayne money right there. That's dumb money. Okay, so, but just because you didn't pull up in a Bugatti today doesn't mean you're, you're not rich and that these verses aren't applying to you if you take into scope and account 
all of the globe and all of history, okay? So we just keep that in mind. Don't, don't Bugatti yourself out of this sermon, okay? Uh, also keep in mind that um, though the Bible has many warnings for the rich, this is super important. Though the Bible has many warnings for the rich, being poor does not make you righteous, okay? Um, for just off the top of my head, the sluggard in Proverbs, I mean, the Proverbs is full of warnings to the sluggard. The guy that put his hand in the dish but is too lazy to even bring it back to his mouth is crying about there's a lion outside, I can't go to work, right? So the, the Bible's not real hip on him. Uh, you got the poor steward that Jesus calls wicked straight up. So being poor does not necessarily make you righteous, okay? So let's not get that twisted. There's, there's righteous rich people and there's unrighteous rich people. There's righteous poor people and unrighteous poor people. So we can't, we can't think that though there are a lot of warnings to the rich, the Bible uh, automatically has these categories based on socioeconomic status because the real issue isn't how many dollars are in your account. It's righteousness and unrighteousness. It's standing before God that matters, right? So uh, let's just make sure we remember that. So uh, these, specifically verses 23 through 26, there have been several different attempts to minimize the apparent difficulty of this passage. Um, all of them upon closer examination, however, are left wanting. We're going to look at a few of the ways people have tried to minimize what Jesus is saying here, explain it some other way, do some exegetical acrobatics because they don't like it. So, uh, since the ninth century, to some degree, but really a lot more in the last 200 years, there's, the, there's been this teaching regarding these verses known as the needle gate. Most of you have probably heard this. Some of you might believe it. I've preached it before because somebody I trusted told me it was right, okay? Here's, here's that teaching, that what Jesus is referring to here is a very small gate in the wall of the city where when camels came up at night, in order to, so they would close the big gates, that way all thieves and you know, a marauding band of uh, you know, Attila the Huns guys couldn't come right in the middle of the night and just bust in. So there would be this supposed smaller gate where a camel would have to come up and, and they'd have to take all of the things off the camel and the camel would have to get down on its knees and, and kind of crawl through this hole in order to access the city. So that's, that's what they're saying that Jesus is talking about here. And it's, it's really a bummer because that's like such a cool analogy, right? Because you've got to take the stuff off. It seems to kind of go with what's being said here. You've got to get down on your knees and approach God humbly. It's like, it's all there. It's like, that. whoo, yeah, I can preach that. But it's not true. <laughs> There's no archaeological evidence for it. It's just, it's really just a way to kind of minimize the impossibility of the scenario Jesus gives where a camel is actually going through the eye of a needle. And so Jesus meant what he said, and, and the, the needle gate thing is, is kind of a, a sad attempt to make it not seem so impossible, uh, to make his statement not seem so severe, right? Because everybody knows churches don't want to take rich people off, right? Because we're all about money. So you got to have another way to talk about it. That, that, that was a joke. I'm not sure. <laughs> like one person to the left got it. Everyone else was, okay. Ooh, moving on. Um, I wish that was true, right? Because I don't like hard verses either, any more than the next guy. So uh, another way that people have tried to explain this away is to say that Jesus is actually talking about a carpet needle that has like a six-inch hole in it, and that the, the rope they would use was made of camel hair, and so he's referencing this situation, and that's how you explain the verse. Um, again, there's, if, if you look at the Greek, um, both Matthew and Luke reference it, reference it. it's Matthew's talking about a sewing needle. There's, there's really no way to get around that. And, and Luke's talking more of a needle like a surgeon would use, which makes sense. He's a doctor. But we're both talking about small needles 
and, and that explanation is, is kind of grasping it. Let's come up with some way to make it seem like Jesus isn't being so harsh to the rich folks, okay? Um, the, the last way that it's been tried to be dealt with, other than the plain reading of it, is that it's a, an issue with Greek translation because the word camel and the word for cable in Greek are very close. They're just one letter off. And so some people would, would say, that's somebody just messed up the Greek. And so uh, how it should read is it's harder for a cable to pass through the eye of a needle. Okay? So there's, and there may be more. Those are the most prevalent ways people have tried to kind of soften the blow of these extreme statements of Jesus, right? I mean, this is, he's kind of saying wild stuff. Everybody with me on that? It's going to be... It's going to be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That sounds really mean <laughs> and hard. So, uh, verse 25, however, it, it shows us that all of the desperate attempts to explain away or even minimize the difficulty of what Jesus is saying, uh, that, that they don't work. So if we just look at verse 25, okay, so Jesus says what he says. He says his hard statement, right? And then here's the response from the disciples. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished... Okay, so if everybody knows about the needle gate, which is the most prevalent op, you know, option of how let's make this not be so bad. If everybody knows about the needle gate and, and what Jesus is saying is, well, you're just going to have to unload your stuff and get on your knees to crawl through the hole. Why are they very astonished? And then why do they say this? Then who can be saved? That doesn't seem like a response to just a simple reference to something that everybody knows, you know, where the camel comes in at night and, and la da da, right? And, and, then, and then, of course, Jesus responds, um, and he says, with people, this is impossible, right? But with God, all things are possible. So it, it, it's not impossible for a camel to have its bags taken off and get down on its knees and shimmy through the hole. Uh, it's not impossible to string the camel-haired rope through the larger needle that you're hoping is actually what the Greek is talking about, Right? Jesus meant what he said, okay? Uh, he, he is using hyperbole and imagery to make a point, but he does mean it. He's serious. Here's, here's what's going on. The belief that wealth was always a sign of God's blessing and approval was deeply entrenched in Jewish culture at that time. And Jesus is laying the groundwork for the gospel. So he's talking to a bunch of people that believe if you have wealth, if you're rich, and even the religious leaders of the time were expected to live to a certain degree of opulence as a sign of the fact that God was with them and that God was blessing them. Jesus is coming, like he does in a whole lot of other things, to flip this upside down. And so he's addressing this idea that you guys believe if somebody's rich, God definitely really loves them and he's done that and is blessing them. Let's look at verse 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus is dealing with this idea that the wealthy are more likely to be saved. And he is saying to those listening, because remember, they think the wealthy are more likely to be loved by God. The wealthy are more likely to be invited to be in God's presence. What he's saying is, even the wealthy, who you assume are favored by God, they're not going to be saved by their attainments. They're not going to be saved by their socioeconomic status. They're not going to be saved by what they have or the circles they run in. If you notice, and it all flows together, if you really start at verse 16 and pay attention, the young man was looking for another work to do. He said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? 
The brother, the brother was off base from the jump, and that's what Jesus is dealing with for the whole rest of the passage. This idea that he was going to come and find out one more thing he could do that was going to get him over the finish line for eternal life. Maybe there's just one thing I'm missing, some work that I can do. And Jesus says no. Jesus is laying the groundwork for salvation by grace through faith. And that's why his final statement is, yeah, you know what? Rich people, poor people, anybody, for, for any of them to be saved, it's going to be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so he means what he says about the eye of the needle. It is, it is as impossible as it would be for a camel, an elephant, or any other big mammal you want to pick to pass through an eye of a needle than for any human being to be saved and made right with God without the help of grace and mercy, without belief and faith in the finished work of Christ. Salvation is impossible apart from the help of God. Amen. That's what's going on. We do need to say, though, that the scriptures are filled with warnings to the rich. Remember, that includes most of us here, okay? Sadly, many of us fall prey to the temptation of envying those who have more material wealth than us. We sometimes believe the same lie that these people did, that somehow they have been more favored by God because of that material wealth. First of all, let's call a spade a spade. Not all wealth comes from God, right? The pictures on the internet of drug busts where they're pulling out pallets of $100 bills as they go past the personal zoo with the white tiger from the drug lord's house, okay, I, I'm not a genius, but I don't think that wealth came from God, right? So right off the bat, just because you got a bunch of money in your own tiger <laughs> doesn't mean God's blessing you, okay? And, and a matter, as a matter of fact, that, that wealth can be a curse. Even when wealth is from God, the truth is, like many other good things that come from him, such as beauty, sex, and family, wealth can easily become an idol that we worship instead of a blessing that we give thanks for. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 17. 1 Timothy 6. We're going to start in verse 17. How, here's the question for us, friends. How do we avoid this apparently common pitfall for those who are wealthy? And again, quit, quit projecting on the Bugatti people, okay? Just because there's some sheik over in Dubai, you know, racing his 16-cylinder Bugatti right now, that doesn't mean that we, in the scope of everything, is, we're not who Jesus is talking to, because we are, if you, if you take into account the socioeconomic status of most people throughout history and even today, okay? Simply the fact that you're sitting right here, and even if you don't have two red nickels to rub together, the fact that you live where you live and the fact that we have the social safety nets that we have, we are, we are rich people here, um, as a country even. And so um, we got to make sure that we don't, we don't project this on somebody else and, and not let the word deal with us today. Uh, so how do we avoid this common pitfall? We are given three powerful principles in Paul's instruction to his son in the faith, Timothy. He tells Timothy how to speak to the rich, and if we are willing to receive these instructions, we will be better equipped to resist the temptation to worship wealth 
instead of the God who blesses us with it. That's always the problem, right? That's what Romans 1 tells us, that we have this constant tendency to look to worship created things instead of the creator, to worship the blessing instead of the blesser, right? That's, that's our problem. Um, our hearts are idol factories. And so we're going to draw three principles out of 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to start in verse 17 here together, okay? Here's what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Amen. Okay, I told you three things. Here's the first thing we run into. and it, we're, we're looking for how do we avoid the common pitfall that, that besets those who have more than others, right? So the first thing it says is not to be conceited. Not to be conceited. Well, I'm not conceited. You're probably conceited because you said that. All right. Proverbs 18.23 tells us that the poor man utters supplications. What that means is the poor man begs for mercy, but the rich man answers harshly, okay? Anyone who has worked in food service or retail or customer service knows that some people, as soon as they have enough money to pay someone else to do something for them, whether that's make their chalupa or ring out their purchase or fix their plumbing, as soon as somebody has enough money to pay someone else to do that, they think they have the right to talk crazy to people. Right? They do. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And so, um, you know, you could, you could be working down at the, at the taco shack and, and, you know, making somebody's chalupa, and, and here, come, you know, here comes over the, the fuzzy screen, um, I asked for no cheese and extra Diablo sauce, right? Like, are you stupid? Are you dumb? It's not, it's not that hard. It's just a chalupa. And, you know, you, you want to say, right? You want to respond, okay, you lactose intolerant devil sauce guzzler. <laughs> if you just think for a second about the fact that I've made 350 of these chalupas today without your special requests, right? That maybe I just, you know, there's a lot going on back here and I messed up. I can remake the thing. You don't, you don't have to talk crazy to me. You know what I mean? That's what you want to say. I've, I've been in situations, and this is a little bit extreme, but, you know, been in, had to turn people's water off, whatever, and somebody be fixing plumbing in their house, and they'll be like, my, my water has been off for three hours. How am I supposed to make my cold brew hibiscus and lemongrass tea without running water? <laughs> Any ideas? And I'm like, I'm like, yes, yes. I realize that if you miss your 2.30 appointment to sip your hibiscus tea and be transported mentally on the back of a giant monarch butterfly to your happy place, you might be upset. I realize that's a possibility. However, what you fail to realize is that I've been crawling around in your crawl space that I'm bigger than for the last three hours, soldering pipes with a 1,200-degree torch right next to my face while you've been up here vexing over your impending tea time. You know? <laughs> but you can't. Can't say any of that, can you? You have to say, I'm going to get this right for you as soon as possible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of you have avoided the, 
repercussions of, of people having a little bit of money and being able to pay somebody to do something else and, and then talking to them nasty. But the, the, the truth is wealth often brings with it a conceited and inflated view of oneself. And that prideful attitude leads many people to treat others poorly. That's part of what Proverbs is saying. It's saying the, a, a, the poor man will beg for mercy. A rich man answers harshly. And so you just kind of get this attitude about you. Um, you know, and, and that's, a, that's another thing. Like, in, in trying to convince you that this applies to you, you know, most of you at some point have had enough walking around money to be able to pay for a service, right? Whether it's buying something at the grocery store or whatever it is. Somebody put that thing on the shelf for you. Somebody's, you know, checking you out. Somebody's bagging it. You know, most of you have been able to at least buy a chalupa or two. And so, you know, you've had this, this situation where you were in a position to essentially, for a short-term little bit, hire somebody else to, to do something for you. And so, um, that often can, can be an issue for us, and it, it, can, it can conjure things that, that God is not pleased with. So um, I would encourage you to go read this later. Write, write this down if you're taking notes. Um, go, go check out Deuteronomy 8, like all of it, because it's real good. But I'm going to just take a piece out of it. Deuteronomy 8, what's going on is God is warning his people that they will be tempted to forget him when they grow in wealth and comfort. Okay, so he's given them a bunch of different warnings about that. And then he says this in verse 17 of, of Deuteronomy 8. He says, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. There's a lot riding on whether or not we keep our hearts right in regards to the wealth that we have, the level of comfort we have, remembering where it came from, remembering who is the giver of all good gifts. Uh, and, and there was reasons why God emphatically and over and over again warned his people in Deuteronomy 8 not to do this. Because they went ahead and did it. <laughs> and he knew that was coming. And they did struggle because of it. And so it matters a lot. Not everyone gives in to the temptation to treat others poorly because they are conceited, but almost everyone who has more than someone else at least deals with that temptation. We must remember that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble all the time, and in this in particular. So first of all, uh, we see here from 1 Timothy that we cannot be conceited because of the fact that we've got a little bit, okay? The second thing he says to instruct the rich, and he says for them to not do, is tell them not to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches. Proverbs 18, 10, 11 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. There is a sneaky tendency for us to trust in all of our self-constructed safety nets instead of the Lord who is our strong tower. When you think about that while I take a drink. You need to marinate on that for a second. All right. This is not to say that we should not save and be wise with our finances, but we can never put our trust in our surplus. 
we have to ask ourselves where our heart and mind turns in times of trouble. Do we get sick and think, I've got money for the deductible, I'm good. The problem with that kind of thinking, friends, is that Steve Jobs died of cancer. I think that brother had some walking around money. I'm not an expert on his finances, but I'm assuming like if at this point you could have a robotic body that your head was just attached to and you could live forever, like he had that kind of money, right? So the, the deal is, if, if our mind and heart goes straight to, I, well, I know I've got the insurance and I know I can pay the deductible when, when something comes up, where, where, well, what's my strong tower? Or is my wealth, is my comfort, is the safety net I've built become this high wall in my own imagination that I think is, is not going to be able to be overcome? Well, the reality is there's a whole lot of stuff that can get over that wall. It's not as tall as you think it is. Amen. That was a good spot for an amen. You missed it right there. All right. I'll coach you on I'll get you there. Money does not guarantee peace and joy. There are a whole lot of miserable, wealthy people. Uh, I, I've been thinking about this for a while, and, and, and there's this, this ad all the time on uh, one of the major radio stations here in town. All of you probably listened to it at some point. And it's an ad for a lawyer firm. And so this guy gets on there all the time, and his ad is something like this. It says, uh, do you have a good job, a nice house, and, and lots of retirement savings? But then you get the worst news that you've ever heard. Your wife has decided to tell you she wants out. Well, we're such and such law firm, and we, you know, we're experts in making sure la-da-da-da-da, you don't lose everything and all that type of deal. And so then they're talking about, you know, we've got thousands of lawyers between the U.S. and England. And I'm thinking about, are you, there's, this is one law firm that they've built their entire practice on trying to help people keep a little bit of their empire that they've built when the mo- what should be one of the most precious things in their life, and that's their marriage, is, is failing. They've been able to build a practice with, to their own account, thousands of lawyers working on that. That's really sad to me. It's really sad to me that there's a whole bunch of people that have a really good job and a really nice house and a bunch of retirement savings, but then their marriage fails. And then they got to use a bunch of that money they've been scrimping and saving and trying to put together to try to pay a lawyer to keep some of it. That high wall didn't work. That's really sad. Revelation 3.16 says this. This is Jesus laying the smack down on the church of Laodicea. This is one of the things he says to them. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Most of you have heard that before. Most of us don't realize the context it's tied to. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How many of you knew the be hot or cold or I'll spit you out of my mouth verse? You've heard that before. Sunday school, somewhere. I know you guys have heard that verse before somewhere. Okay. Most of you have, I don't care if you've, this is your first time ever gathering with God's people, you've probably come across that idea somehow. We know that Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What most of us don't know 
is the next word of the next verse is because, which ties it to the verse before. Scary verse about, don't be lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Okay? That's God talking. He's going to cast you away. Be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. Well, okay, all right, I, I, you got my attention, God. I don't want to be spit out in your mouth. I don't want to be a God hawker, right? So, get, okay, so how do, how do I do that? What, what next? What do I need to think about? He says, because, here's what causes the lukewarmness, love city. By and large, maybe not all the time, but this is apparently a big enough issue that this is what he followed it up with. You know, the Lord Jesus, the guy that's kind of got the authority on the deal, right? You say, here's why you're lukewarm, because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now, most of us in here wouldn't say I have need of nothing, but if we really, really think about it, we don't have need of a whole lot. And we think that somehow getting to the point where we're comfortable enough to say, I don't have need of much, is, is finally getting to the point where I know that God's blessed me and God loves me, when God throughout the scriptures is saying, hold on. When you get to that level of comfort, you're in the most danger. And so what are we saying? Don't save? Are we saying throw everything away and don't, don't ever have a dollar to your name? No, but we need to know that this is real, and we need to know that for every single dollar that our bank account goes up, we need to be on our knees asking God for the humility and the discernment to not get stuck in this. We need to know it's a temptation for every single one of us. You are not exempt. Every dollar your net worth goes up, you're going to need that much more help with the Holy Spirit to not get stuck up in this junk right here. I don't want to be Laodicea, Love City. I'm just, I'm just looking to get to the finish line here. Well done. It's going to be by grace. I don't want to imagine... <laughs> The little bit I got, an unscalable wall. I don't want to think I have a tower of my own building. The only hope I have, the only anchor I can hold to in the midst of any storm is King Jesus. He's the only real hope. He's the only faithful one. The only one that's not going to fail. The only tether that's not going to break. Anything else you try to build, anything else you try to, try to bank on, it's going to fail you. And the demise of that house would be great. I just want to say, I just want to read this to you one more time. Just one more time. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I don't know who you count as the high authority. For me, it's Jesus. If he says it, I believe it. I don't need it. There's no more discussion needed. And, and apparently, he believes you can be rich enough to say, I have need of nothing, and yet be wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked where it really counts. We've got to watch ourselves. We've got to pray on these things. We've got to ask for God's help that we would not be blind. Amen. I'm glad he will, aren't you? I'm glad as we realize that we need help for these things, we can come to him. And by grace, he'll invite us in and he'll help us. He'll show us, teach us by his spirit. So thankful for that. The third thing we're drawing from this, so the first two was kind of, there's two things for us to watch out for and not do, right? Don't be conceited because you got more than other people. And don't count on the riches. Don't let that be your strong tower. It's going to fail you and it's going to crash and burn. Okay, so it's two like, no-nos. So next what he does is he gives us a proactive action step 
And, and we're given that to help us not fall prey to the common spiritual struggles of the wealthy. So the question, what is the proactive step we're next given so that we don't fall prey to these common spiritual struggles that everybody has that, that experiences you know, some level of comfort? Here's what he says. Here's the proactive thing we can do. Don't be conceited. Don't count on the riches. And then go and instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What does he say? What's the answer? What is the proactive thing that beats back the tendency to fall prey to these foolish things? He says, be generous. Be generous. Do it a lot and do it more. Be generous. And here's the reality. When we are generous, we wage a full frontal assault on the sins that so easily beset those who have enough to be comfortable. If you have enough that you're eating every day, and you've got some clean water, and you've got a place to store your food, and, and maybe even a roof over your head, you've got to understand, in the big picture, there's already now beginning to be this temptation that I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't, I don't know that I need God. None of us is immune to that. And so this, this doesn't mean let's race to see who can get the most poor, because the reality is God has specifically gifted some of you to have a whole bunch of money come into your hands because he, wants, he knows that you're a giver and he's gifted you not only to make money but to give money. And so for you to do that would be disobeying what it is he's made you to do. However, we do have to have our heart right about this, which has been the summary of the entirety of this sermon series, that this thing is not about money, man. It's about our hearts. God doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. He's God. He paves stuff with gold. <laughs> he doesn't need your money. And anything you've got that you could give him, he gave you anyways. He doesn't need what you got, but he wants you. And part of the way to make sure he has you is that you keep stuff right with this. That you stay before God about this that you're honest with yourself about this, and that you lay open your heart before God to be examined about this. Ask yourself real questions, man. Don't let yourself off the hook. It's important. When we're generous, we wage a full frontal assault on the sins that so easily beset those who have enough to be comfortable. We train our hearts not to look down on those with less and not to place our hope in superficial things. When we give towards the work of the kingdom, we are preaching to ourselves that God's glory and the eternity of others is more important than our temporary comforts and desires. I need that to be preached to me every day. Because I'm a silly old selfish human just like you, and I get real distracted on my temporary comforts and desires. And so when I give generously to the work of God's kingdom, it preaches a sermon to my own heart that people's eternity and God's glory is more important than what I may think I want in this moment, than me ever having the organic dark chocolate river, right? I don't care. Listen, man, you, I, don't just, I don't know, you know, remember the most lavish MTV Cribs episode you ever read about, because you didn't watch it, because you read about it. Just imagine the most lavish thing you ever saw, man. 
it's going to be a dung pile compared to what's going to happen when we get with Jesus, man. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be laughable. We've got to be eternally focused, man. We've got to think about that. We don't have to have, we sh- I don't think we should even want to have a level of lavishness in this life that would in any way hinder us from answering the call to extravagant generosity because it is the only proper response when we think about how incredibly generous God was in sending Jesus to take on human flesh, to live a perfect life among a bunch of rebels and then to be killed by them to save them and then to rise from the grave, victorious, to offer us to be able to partake in that righteousness, not by following him into death, not by going through the struggles he did, but by simply believing that what he's done is sufficient to pay the price for us to be saved. What an incredibly generous offer. You will not ever outgive God. If he stopped giving at the cross, you could never outgive him. The beautiful thing he, is he doesn't. Then he continues, and he says, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to pour into your life, and every, every good gift comes from me. And I'm going to keep on blessing you. I'm going to keep on putting resources into your hands so that you then can put them out. And it's, it's, the beautiful thing is part of what God's doing in that, he's, he's letting us manage stuff. He's putting resources into our hands because just like the fact that he's swept us into this this rescue mission and called us ambassadors of the beauty of the gospel. He's let us be a part of that. He also, in the same way, is bringing resources into our hands so that we can be a part of his kingdom work, so that we can answer the call to generosity, so that we can be his hands and feet in the earth. We get to go with dad to work. And he wants us to be a part of that. He wants to help. He wants us to help. He wants us to want to help. It's so fun to me. Man, it blesses me almost more than anything. When I bust the tools out and I'm doing something around the house, whatever it is, and here comes Max. What are you doing, Dad? And he's all up in it, totally in my way, right? Not helping at all, like definitely encumbering progress, but it doesn't matter. I will slow down. I'm explaining to him what I'm doing. He doesn't get it, but I'm going to tell him anyways. I'm going to keep explaining it to him. What's that tool, Dad? What's that tool, Dad? What's that one do? Does this, son. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm having a great time. Do do I need him in that situation to get done what I need to get done? No. It'd be easier for me if he would skedaddle. However, he's getting the enjoyment of working with dad and learning what dad does, and I get the enjoyment of spending time with my son and seeing him interested in trying to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. And God is a way better daddy than me. He enjoys your involvement in what he's doing in the earth way more than I could ever selflessly enjoy Max slowing down my progress. He wants you to be a part. And it should be a great joy for us and a privilege. Poverty is not the remedy to sinful tendencies of those who have much. Generosity is. Poverty is not the remedy to sinful tendencies for those who have much. Generosity is. It is important to understand that last line because it echoes the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 when Peter asks, Who then can be saved? You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, It's going to be 
it's going to be about the same probability for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are like, what? Who then is going to be saved? Who, who's going to make it? And Jesus says, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Pointing his disciples already to the fact that without God's intervention, salvation is not going to happen. Being generous with what God has given us is not how we are redeemed. Those who have been redeemed will always be generous with what God has given them. It's so key to understand. You can misunderstand the way, um, the way 1 Timothy says it here, right? Because uh, in, in verse 19 it says, Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That doesn't mean... If that's the case, then Jesus would have had no reason to correct the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler showed up saying, hey, I'm a pretty stellar dude, but I realize there may be something else I need to do. Uh, so what's, give, give me another good work to top this thing off, Jesus. Right? And Jesus is like, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Why did Jesus say that? Well, because Jesus knew that that brother couldn't do that because actually his God was his wealth. And so Jesus was taking that opportunity to teach everybody there, including that young man, there's only one God that can be worshipped. There's only one God worthy of worship. Because honestly, land and houses and helicopters and chocolate rivers are a terrible God. They're not worthy to be worshipped. Being generous with what God has given us is not how we are redeemed. Those who have been redeemed will always be generous with what God has given them. We need to understand that you can give away everything and spend the rest of your life wearing a burlap sack, but without faith in the perfectly generous sacrifice of Jesus, you will not take hold of that which is life indeed. Without faith in the perfectly generous sacrifice of Jesus, you're not going to take hold of that which is life indeed. And that which is life indeed, it's, it's not the pitiful shadow that so many of us look at. It's not the pitiful shadow that so many of us are envious of. See, because what a lot of people are trying to do by attaining riches, by getting that bigger house, by getting that island and the yacht to take them there, they're trying to get heaven here. They're trying to fill... All of us understand something's broken. Now, whether we can actually verbalize that we understand that, that's, that's to be debated. But every single one of us has this groaning and gaping hole in our heart because we know things are not as they should be. There is a distance between us and the God that we were created to be really, really close to. And so that aches. And so there's so many ways that people will desperately claw and try with all their might to get that to stop aching. And if they can try to reproduce this, this idea of perfection here, if I can get to where I have nothing to worry about, I don't think sickness could ever touch me because I could buy a robot body. And if I, everything around me is gold and everything around me is plush, 
Maybe I can get to the point where this heart will stop aching. And the pitiful tragedy of it all is it doesn't matter to what level of opulence you get. It doesn't matter how many billions you've got stacked up. Your heart will still scream with that aching pain to be reunited with the God that made you. All that effort and all that striving, and you're not going to get it. You'll get to the top of that mountain, you'll find out it's barren and it's dead there. And all the time, all the time, the remedy to that broken, aching heart was right there. It was Jesus of Nazareth, strung out on a cross, letting his veins be opened up and his blood flow down, dying for your sins, and then rising three days later and saying, just believe that and I'll make you righteous. Just believe that, and I'll bridge the gap. Just believe that. Guys, i got to tell you something. This, is not, this has nothing to do, I, I don't even know how this fits or if it does, but I, I, I was sitting with someone today in prayer. It was impromptu. I, I didn't know it was going to happen. I, I walked into this room, and God was dealing with this person. And it was, they were in tears, and so I just jumped in, uh, not knowing what else to do. And, and, and God spoke to me about something that, and I don't know how I've missed this. Like, I'm... I, I fancy myself like pretty able to grasp the beauty and intricacy of the gospel. And of course I know that I've, I've always got to keep growing and so I shouldn't be surprised. But this just, the fact that I, I, I've somehow been all the way around so much of, of gospel thinking and, and not seen this. It, 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 I rejoiced as, as I simultaneously wanted to facepalm. But I'm thinking about the fact that I think so often we think about... God in orchestrating his plan of redemption, just, just kind of sitting upon his throne like the, 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 just the thundering creator God of the universe, and, he, and he's there, and he's kind, of, he's kind of put all this thing into motion, and he's gotten it all done, and, and, and like he, he, he's created this way, you know, like, um, you remember when Jacob had the dream, and there's the ladder, and the angels are going up and down, right? That's a foreshadowing of Christ, that God's going to make a way for man to to get back to God. And so it's almost like we imagine God just kind of stoically going through the motions and making this way that now, now there's a bridge, right? So you guys can come on. I've, I've done what is necessary. I've, I, I, I sent Jesus. He lived the perfect life. We, we, the cross happened, right? And so the sacrifice is paid and, and then he rose from the grave by my power. And so the deal's done now. Now you can come to me. And so individually, it's like, okay, all that's done. The, the ladder's been lowered. The, the, the bridge has been built. And so now, now people can walk across that thing. Now there's hope for them, and they can, they can come to God. They can get to him, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thought about it that way. But then I, the, the reality is, I, and, and I've even talked about this so much, that, that the prodigal son, man, it, 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 it changes the way you see that. Because in that story, right, the guy gets his inheritance, he, he runs off to another land, blows it, and, and then wakes up, realizing he's starving to death, and he's going to go back to his father, and he's going to say, just let me be a slave in your house, because at least his slaves have bread, they get to eat, they're not dying, laying in a pig pen, eating the same food as the pigs, and so he gets up, and he goes, and he goes, and he heads to the father. But the thing is, the father doesn't just sit there waiting for the son to come. Right? As soon as the sun is within sight, the Bible, it's so, it matters so much. This is so key. He, he picks up his garments and he runs to him. God is not just stoically sitting there like, take it or leave it. He is desperately for each and every person emotionally involved in whether or not he's going to be reconciled to them. It matters to him. 
as much as it could matter to any earthly father, a million times more than that to be separated from their child. His love causes him to come and meet us right where we're at. He's not just like, here's the road map, hope you can make it here. He's looking to run and meet you. Gosh, he's worthy of worship. He's worthy, he's worthy of generosity. Extravagant, radical generosity. God, help us. Help us in the way we give. Help us, please, to glorify you. May we be a people who forever remember that all we have is a gift from God. And that because of that, we will never be conceited about what we have been entrusted to manage. May we be a people who put our trust in God alone, our strong tower and perfect Father. And may we be a people who are extravagantly generous for God's glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for what you have done in our midst through this sermon series. God, you have dealt with us. You have changed us. We are a different people. We are different people individually, and we are different as a group, as the family of God. You have, by your Holy Spirit, you have shaped and molded us through this process and this journey. We are so thankful that your hand has been upon it. We're so thankful, God, that you are merciful and patient with us. Some of us have been doing this a long time, and we should have done had this part down, but I thank you that you're willing to come back and revisit things again, rekindle and blow upon the coals that sometimes we let get cold and reignite in us a flame of passion to obey you. Thank you, God. Please help us, Lord Jesus. Help us by your Holy Spirit to never, ever, ever be conceited or prideful because you have trusted us with enough resources that we would have more than somebody else. God, may we treat every single person everywhere, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter if they're, if they're serving us or not, God, may we, may we prefer them above ourselves. May we love them well. May we show them respect. Please let it never be said of us that we become conceited because you've blessed us. How tragic that would be. God, please... Help us to fight the tendency. We know as we examine even our own hearts and lives, our own thought patterns, God, it's so easy for us to move away from the idea that you're the strong tower we run to and are safe, that you're the anchor in the midst of the storm, that you're the strong, immovable cornerstone, the rock of ages upon which we can build a life. It's so easy, Lord, for us to, to slide over into imagining our own efforts and our own little constructs as, as an unscalable wall that no enemy can get in. As if we have the power to do that, Lord. Help us to see that all of our efforts are fragile and that the only hope we have is in you. Lord, please help us. Help us, God, to be an ever-increasingly generous people. And God, I ask that it would be for us an absolute source of joy. May we see it for what it is. May we see the privilege of being entrusted with resources so that we can then distribute them. 
God, may we simply see ourselves as funnels that you can pour resources into and that we can get them out into the world. God, help us to be in awe of the fact that you let us come along, that you let us be a part of what it is you're doing in the earth. I, I have to imagine all of the work of redemption that needs to be done would be so much easier for you to just shift us out of the way and get in here and do it yourself. But God, you've not chosen to do that. In your love and in your mercy and in your desire to include us, your children, you, you, you have to wrestle with and be patient with all of our frailties, but you let us, you let us be a part so that for all of eternity, when all of this is said and done, we will be able to celebrate and remember and rejoice that we were able to work with you and be a part of your redemptive purposes in the earth. Thank you for all of the long-suffering patience that it takes for you to allow us into that process. Thank you for anointing us as ambassadors of your beautiful gospel, that you haven't just given us this truth so that we can revel in it for ourselves. And thank you, God, for sharing with us some of your resources and trusting us as stewards and for speaking to us and leading and guiding us on how it is you want that spent. Lord, help us. Help us not to hedge our bets. Help us to be radical and extravagant in our generosity. May the way we give, may the way we live, may it reflect to a world that is desperately crying out. A heart, a world that's hearts are just aching to be reunited with you, our perfect Father. God, may, may just one of the ways that we can reflect your goodness and your generosity and the beauty of your character and nature to the world be that we would be generous. So please help us to do this. We want to. We want to, Lord. We know. <laughs> we know that we're going to have to stay on it. We know that we're going to have to be mindful. We know that we're going to have to check our hearts and we're going to have to submit ourselves to the inspection of your Holy Spirit so that we don't get pulled into this Laodicean comfort and lukewarmness because we think that we've got it together. God, we need you. We need you. I don't care. I don't care what the bank account says. I need you because there are so many problems that bank account can't answer. Not just in my own life, but in the life of people I love. God, we need you. We are desperate. Help us to keep these things, Lord, correct in our thinking. May our hearts ever be bent in generosity towards you and others. Thank you for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.